This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. I appreciate you so much for taking your time to tune into this week's episode. This week, we will be looking at the misunderstood discipleship in John chapter 13, which of course is episode 219. I hope you've been enjoying these deep dives into the misunderstandings within the Gospel of John as much as I have. Now, after this week's episode, we will have three further instances of the misunderstanding within the fourth gospel to study. And then after that, we will get to move on to some new and exciting topics. So please look forward to it. Now, as a reminder, the Johannine theme of misunderstanding has three very important components. Part one, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. Part two, the conversation partner misunderstands it, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Part three, either Jesus or the narrating author explains what Jesus meant, although sometimes the explanation is missing, but clearly implied. So in this week's episode, we will examine a discussion between Jesus and Simon Peter, particularly about the topic of discipleship. And we will look closely at the misunderstanding that is raised in light of what Jesus says to Peter. What is the correlation between discipleship and the death of Jesus that brings about his glorification? How does Peter fail to grasp what Jesus says on the topic? And how does the Gospel of John portray Peter as continuing in his misunderstanding some five chapters later? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the discipleship taught by Jesus, misunderstood by Peter. So our passage this week is in John chapter 13, and I want to start in verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, 
Why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That's John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. And what's interesting to me about this particular passage is that we have a discussion about the upcoming death and glorification involved in the salvific event of the cross. And in the midst of that discussion, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it means to follow him, about what it means to be a true disciple. Particularly, he talks to them about love. Jesus says that you are to love one another as I have loved you. That is a new twist on the love command that can be observed throughout the Hebrew Bible. But here, the love command is loving as Jesus himself has demonstrated with his own life. And so the behavior of Jesus becomes the standard for defining love. Jesus is an ethical example to follow, not just the Messianic Son of God worthy of following and worship. So Jesus makes himself a figure worthy of following within this passage. So let's take some time to look at the misunderstanding involving what Jesus said and how Peter misheard it. So this is our second point, looking closer at the theme of misunderstanding involving Peter's discipleship. It's very interesting here that the words of Jesus seem to be focused directly towards Peter, not towards the rest of his disciples. But the theme of misunderstanding, as we've already noted, involves Jesus making an ambiguous statement. That's the first part of the theme of misunderstanding. And this is pretty easily observed in chapter 13, verse 36, where Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. This is Jesus speaking to Simon Peter specifically. And in the Greek, it's very specific. It says, U the nase to Peter, specifically, you cannot follow me. You are unable to follow me. P Peter is physically unable at this particular moment of his life to follow Jesus in this particular way. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus is talking about his death. He's talking about the moment where he is going to be martyred and the glorification that is going to come within that. And later in the Gospel of John, Peter is going to be told by Jesus how he is going to die, how he is going to become a martyr. And that's something that's supposed to happen much, much later in the life of Peter. It's not something that's supposed to happen this very night. Jesus talks about how Peter instead is going to deny Jesus three times this very night prior to the rooster crowing, which indicates that the new morning has dawned. That would be the very next day. So Jesus is saying that where he is going, that he is going to go unto his death. He's going to 
die as a martyr and that he's going to be glorified by God. Where Jesus is going, Peter cannot go, but he will follow later. Now, the second part of the theme of misunderstanding has the conversation partner, clearly Simon Peter in this passage, misunderstanding what Jesus said. Either he asks an inappropriate question or he interprets what Jesus says literally. So we can see Peter's response in chapter 13, verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. So there's a couple of things in the misunderstanding that takes place here. First, we can see that the question is raised, why Peter cannot follow Jesus right now? And it's very important. It's the right now that Peter is honing in on. Jesus says, you're going to follow later. And Peter doesn't actually believe this. He wants to know why he can't follow Jesus right now. There's a lot of enthusiasm to follow Jesus, but it's not actually backed up, as we're going to see pretty clearly in our study. It's not backed up with an actual commitment of discipleship. When the going gets tough, Peter ends up denying Jesus, not one time, not two times, but three times. But Peter is openly saying, hey, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I'm willing to pour out my soul for you, Jesus. And yet, the act of dying and dying as a martyr, specifically, is not even something that Peter can even come close to doing when he can't even openly confess Jesus when he has asked on multiple occasions that very evening. So Jesus is speaking about his death and the glorification that is bound up within it, and of course, the resurrection that follows with that, and the salvation that the cross is going to bring. But Peter is wanting to follow Jesus and to die immediately, right now, but this is very inappropriate because Peter's own commitment has not reached that particular level quite yet. So the third part of the theme misunderstanding has either Jesus or the narrator explaining the statement. And so the explanation comes in 13 verse 38. Jesus answered, he's talking specifically to Peter, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That's John 13, 38. And I think there's an interesting irony here. Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? And I look at that language as stressing the for me. It's interesting because Jesus is the one that lays down his life for the disciples. It's the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus is turning here and saying, are you, Peter, going to lay down your life for me, Jesus? But then he points out that this statement by Peter is not actually backed up with a level of discipleship that can bring about an authentic death and martyrdom because Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. Peter is actually depicted 
like those Jews within the fourth gospel who fear confessing Jesus in public. And so we can see that there is a group of Jews within the narrative of the Gospel of John that are afraid to confess Jesus. And so in John 9.22, the blind man's parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So we have evidence here of a fear over some Jews to openly confessing Jesus. We can see a little bit more of this in John 12, 42, where it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So there are some Jews within the narrative of the Gospel of John that believe in Jesus, but they're not willing to openly confess him in public. That seems to be a level of discipleship that is expected of the followers of Jesus, according to the Gospel of John, and it is a step further from the initial confession of faith and belief in Jesus. So, Peter seems to be, despite the fact that he is described as a disciple of Jesus, Peter is among these Jews here that are afraid to confess Jesus in public. Now, in John 18, we can see where Peter actually denies Jesus three times, and we can see the extent of Peter's misunderstanding five chapters after Jesus tells him that he is going to deny three times before the rooster crows. So in John chapter 18, in verse 15, it says that Simon Peter was following Jesus. We see here that Peter thinks that, hey, I'm following Jesus. I told him I'm going to follow him, and I want to follow him right now, even though Jesus said that you can't follow him right now. But Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it's cold, and they're warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. A few verses later, in verse 25, it says that now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. That's John 18, verses 15 through 27.
Peter here has an opportunity to follow Jesus and to confess him in a very real and tangible way. On three occurrences, and in all three instances, Peter actually denies Jesus. So, this is how Jesus can say that you are unable to follow me right now, but you will follow later, because Peter has not quite made that level of commitment. Yes, he's a follower of Jesus, but his commitment is not to the full level of discipleship, wherein he is able to confess Jesus openly and suffer the social consequences of confessing Jesus in this particular manner. Now, there is a redemption of Peter after the resurrection of Jesus in John 21, where Jesus specifically mentions how it is that Peter will go unto his death and die as a martyr. So in John 21, verse 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you, Peter, used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. John 21 verses 18 through 19. So, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is going to go off to a particular type of death where his hands are going to be stretched out. And a lot of readers assume that this means that Peter also is going to die on a cross, very similar to the way that Jesus died on a cross with his hands stretched out. Jesus says this is a type of death. And then Jesus tells Peter to follow me. The following and the discipleship that Jesus expects within the Gospel of John is a following of a lifelong commitment, including the opportunity to confess Jesus openly, and if it comes down to it, being willing to die as a martyr. The discipleship of Jesus is a tall order and a very high standard to follow. Now, within the passages we looked at today, there are a lot of Christological implications from which we can draw. So this moves us to our third and final point, the Christological implication to discipleship and the glorification of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 13, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. You will recall from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, that the Son of Man is a human figure who represents other human beings, and the Son of Man is the one that is empowered by God, he is empowered by the Ancient of Days, to share in God's dominion, God's glory, and God's kingship. But Jesus is able to share in these prerogatives of the Ancient of Days, specifically as a human being, as the Son of Man, as a member of the human race. Now, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man in John 13, 31. He says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, clearly referring to himself. So Jesus thinks of himself as 
a human being, but not a mere man, as some people erroneously think. Son of Man is a powerfully authorized human being that shares in God's privileges and prerogatives while also representing other human beings, as we see clearly depicted in Daniel chapter 7. Now, Jesus not only refers to himself as this human Son of Man, Jesus is perceived by others as a genuine human being. So in John 18, 17, the slave girl who was at the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And in this particular statement, the slave girl refers to Jesus as an anthropos, as a human being, as a man. So that is how outsiders perceived Jesus. They didn't think that he was some sort of heavenly angel dressed as a man or as the second member of the Trinity bound up in human flesh. No, they saw Jesus as a human being, as a man, as a member of the human race, just like you and me. Now, Jesus, in his discussion of discipleship, makes a pretty clear distinction between himself, a man, and God. So in 1331, Jesus says that now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. So Jesus is the Son of Man, but God is going to be glorified within the Son of Man. But it makes a distinction between those two persons. That's John 13, 31. Now, Jesus is repeatedly described here in talking about his death and the cross as one who is glorified, but Jesus is pretty clear to indicate that God is the one who glorifies Jesus. Jesus does not glorify himself. God is the one that glorifies Jesus. So in John 13, 32, we have this particular point stated three times. In John 13, 32, Jesus says that if God is glorified in him, he will also glorify him in himself. Namely, God will glorify Jesus in God's self. And God will glorify him immediately. So God is the one that gives glory to Jesus because God is the one who raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus is dead in the tomb. He does not have any life. And God is the one that raises Jesus and gives him immortality. So God is the one that glorifies Jesus. Jesus does not glorify himself. Now when Jesus speaks of God, particularly here in John 13, 32, there's a very interesting point in the Greek. Jesus actually describes God as a single person. This is it. If God is glorified in him, that is, if God is glorified in Jesus, God will also glorify him, that is Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself, namely in God's self, in John 13, 32. And so in the Greek here, where God is described with a single pronoun, and the dative, in ofto in Greek, we have Jesus depicting the one God as a single person, as a single self as one single person. Jesus, therefore, is a good Unitarian, thinking that the Lord our God 
the Lord is one, is one person. And Jesus describes God as a single person with the singular pronoun here. And of course, there are singular verbs with which Jesus describes the one God. So Jesus is a good Unitarian. So we have a lot of interesting implications in regard to discipleship and the glorification of Jesus. And we could see how Jesus describes himself. We could see how others understand Jesus. We could see how Jesus distinguishes himself from God and how Jesus defines God as one single person. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please look forward to next week's episode. We're going to continue our exploration of the theme of misunderstanding, this time in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 actually has two, count them, two important instances of the theme of misunderstanding, and we will study both of them beginning with next week's episode. So please look forward to it. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. Please consider subscribing for free on either YouTube or iTunes. Consider giving us an honest review on iTunes. And, of course, sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you would like to donate to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast to keep it on the air, you may check us out on PayPal. There is a link to donate in the description of this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, you folks, please take care.